0: I can see some folk with whom I'm not terribly familiar. My name's Bartley Collins. I noticed some faces I have known before. Um, and thank you for your welcome. We've been looking in John's Gospel. Our thesis is that Christianity is the cult of devotion to Christ. And it's silly to call ourselves Christians if we've never read what he said and never thought about what he meant. So our what we've been doing, um, when you've been willing to accompany me, has just been to read some of the words of the Lord Jesus and think, Lord, what, how should you understand that? What does it mean? Um, we've been looking in John's Gospel. And just, just to remind ourselves that John's Gospel was written about 60 years after the resurrection and ascension of the Lord. The other Gospels, the Synoptists, Matthew, and Luke, they were written about 30 years, and dear John, who'd been there as a young man with the Lord all the way through, who watched him most closely, who was, in a sense, uh, he was a disciple that Jesus loved, he was the one that was following him, and he remembered all kinds of stuff, and at the end of his life, they said, look, please, write it down and so when he was about 90 60 years after the resurrection john wrote down some of this detail that the synoptists just hadn't got they had a different purpose and different method of composition and john supplying some detail He's not repeating everything. Some stuff was well known. Like there's no mention of the Lord's Supper in chapter 13. We're looking in chapter 13 of John's Gospel. There's no mention of the Lord's Supper. Well, that, was, that had been well established. And it was universal among the Christians for 30 years or more. Uh, 40 years. We have Paul talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So he didn't need to go over that. He, his job was to supply some of the detail and some of the stuff that he remembered and hadn't already been written. So, that's where we are. And we got to the the beginning of chapter 13, and halfway through the middle. uh, Halfway through to the middle. Let's just have a quick look. It was... We've now hit the last few days... The last few hours, really. The last few hours before the crucifixion. Chapter 13, verse 1. It was before the festival of Passover... Jesus knew that his time had come. The time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved his own people in the world. Now he perfectly manifested all his love to them. Um, There's a little bit of a... And in an adjustment to the translation I'm using, Tom Wright, and just a little bit of an adjustment there. When we read the old version, is he loved them to the end? Really, that word teleos He loved them. He showed them the completeness of his love for them. That's John's pre-commentary. In these verses, he said, "You're going to see how Jesus showed the completeness of his love to them. He, he's going to manifest the whole thing to them." And that's what we're into. And the first thing last week we had was the, uh, the Lord Jesus washed their feet. And you may remember that Peter wouldn't have a bar. He said, no way, you're not going to... And it's, if Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you've got no part in me. Uh, and so he flipped right to the, other, the end of the spectrum and said, right, wash with the whole body, not just my feet. And Jesus said, you're already clean. Later on we read it's through the word that he's spoken to them. Um, Peter, I just want, I want to mention that Jesus had confronted he had uh, lived with the carnality of the disciples all the way through they were expecting uh, a, a Messiah in worldly terms a great king, a great David, a great fighter the Jews are going to be great again and Jesus had been confronting this carnal view of the kingdom of God all the way through his ministry so, when when he said six months-ish earlier to Peter, uh, he, it says that, that, that we, we could go to it, we haven't really got time. In Luke, um, Jesus began to tell them about the things he must suffer, and how he must be crucified and rise again. Peter said, what? No way! That's not God's will for you. This is never going to happen to you. Do you remember that? And the Lord Jesus had to rebuke him and said. And that is astonishing because he said to Peter exactly what he said to Satan during the temptation. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, one of his eminent disciples. Get thee behind me, Satan. He had a carnal, they, they had a carnal view, their minds were conditioned not by the spirit of God but by the spirit of this age jesus didn 't blow them off because of that. that was the material he has to work with that 's what you and I are like we 've been conditioned to some extent by the spirit of the age because we 've lived under the old, under the influence of the old man until the day that we received the holy ghost and so that 's why the apostle writes. Be not conformed to this world, in brackets, anymore. That's what formed your ideas and formed your views, the spirit of this age. Be not conformed to the world, Romans 12, remember? But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So Jesus didn't give up on them, but he was contesting this carnal view of the kingdom of God. And I just mention those two things because we have Peter... Again, uh, no, actually, that's not why I mentioned them. I mentioned them to illustrate the carnal views that Jesus had been resisting. And what did Peter Peter do when he said, no, you're never going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash you, you've got no part in me. And he said, okay, wash me. He said, so do you see the point that we we are prone to having all sorts of misconceptions we are prone to being led up the garden path a garden path It's all right. It's not a problem to God. He understands that. He understands who we are and what we are and what's made us. What happens is that he comes to challenge things in us. And our job at that point is to retreat from that position and say, Lord, I bow my knee to you. I leave my prejudices. I leave the things that I used to think. I repent of them. And I bow my knee to you. And Peter did that. He repented. He said, all right, Lord... And so they accepted this. I mean, Jesus, i that we didn't mention in Philippians. He took on him the form of a slave. Remember in Philippians chapter 3? Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And later on it says, he took upon him the form of a servant. Actually, the word is slave. And that's exactly what Jesus did at the supper. They hadn't, they'd been too proud to wash one another's feet he said I'm going to do it and he, he dressed up like a slave that is to say he laid aside his outer garments and he girded himself with a towel and he washed their feet the point is that, um, that Peter wouldn't have it and then he did and that the disciples accepted in their master this humiliation they accepted it and then, except for Judas. They had the same ideas, but Judas wouldn't shift in his spirit. Do you remember that? His disappointment with the, his carnal ambitions, we suggested. And his ambitions to be great Judas in the kingdom of this Messiah. He's obviously the Messiah. Look at the works he's doing. Obviously the Messiah. What? That kind of Messiah? The one that girds himself and serves his brethren? No way, Judas. And so you know what happened. Judas went out. And that's as far as we got. So we're all affected. The issue is, by our, uh, our background, our spiritual background, the issue is, what do we do about it when Jesus challenges it and, and his word penetrates our soul like a sword? What do we do? Do we yield to him? Or do we dig in and say, I'm just going to carry on being the same person as ever I was Judas, he was out and so we'll just read that who's going to betray you, it was Judas and chapter 13 then we've got as far as, where should we cut in so he did the piece of bread, verse 26 and gave it to Judas son of Simon Iscariot after the bread, Satan entered into him Right? And at that point, that um, opening of love and friendship of the Lord Jesus to, to Judas, instead of receiving the love, instead of dissolving at his feet and repenting, he hardened himself. And Satan entered into him. Now, John, the apostle, was watching. Right? This was "Written by John." John was there. He was the one that was sitting next to Jesus, uh, reclining next to him. And I guess he was watching uh, Judas. And John's commentary was: Satan entered into him. He prepared the way. He'd resisted the Lord. He'd um, hardened his heart. And finally, in order to get him over that last barrier, Satan entered into him. And what we have is Jesus spoke to him do it quickly won't you verse 28 none of the others at the table knew what he meant because Judas kept the common purse some were thinking that he meant buy what we need for the festival or that he was going to give something to the poor so when Judas had verse 30 taken the bread he went out at once it was night Okay, so we've got two reactions the disciples, finally, their um, messianic deceptions, they had left behind. They said, yes, okay, Lord, wash me. And they began to see. Uh, we can only assume that from Jesus' reaction, which we're going to read now. But Judas, no way. But he went out. And the apostolic circle was cleansed. That spirit of, that wouldn't shift was removed. It was almost like a sigh of relief. And now he could speak. And now he began to speak. He hadn't said much before. He'd watched some feet. He hadn't said much. But with Judas out, and the disciples, finally, after two and a half years, the penny dropping, here's what Jesus said. Verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus began to speak. Now has the Son of Man been glorified, he said. And Now God has been glorified in him. And if God has been glorified in him, God will glorify the Son of Man, him, in himself. And glorify him once. A little bit like, I think, a soliloquy. Jesus was talking about his own reflection of his own things. And in verse 33, children... I'm with you only a little longer. He turns his attention, having uh, having given this reflection of his own thoughts, he then turns his attention to the disciples. Children, this and this and this and this and this. Okay, so we got two bits. We got the brief reflection about after Judas had gone, and then the next couple of chapters, he's talking to the disciples preparing them for the end. Can we just consider briefly what this means? Um, When Judas had gone out, Jesus began to speak. Now has the Son of Man... Now, yeah, Judas was gone. The disciples were on side in a way they hadn't been before. Judas was gone. The job was done. Now... Has the Son of Man been glorified? It's not easy to understand. I'm going to offer you a suggestion as to how we might understand it. All right? Rather than say, this is all it can mean. This seems to me to be the uh, best understanding. Okay. We'll be brief here. Uh, now, Judas has gone out, the disciples on site. the job's done. The Son of Man has been glorified. I'm just a man, and they've seen uh, the Son of Man, and they've seen uh, they've seen the Son of Man in his true beauty, the beauty of holiness and humility. They finally got the message. Finally, I reign supreme. Judas has gone out. The spirit of carnal messianism has left. And there's no opposition anymore. They're on the same page. They've seen what I'm about. The fake glory of the world has been condemned in their heart. They're on side. I think that's the, the. We'll move on. The Son of Man has been glorified. All through my life, I've been living under the Father, and now they've seen it. I'm glorified in them. They're not arguing with me anymore. Peter wasn't saying, not so you, Lord. If, now God has got, and verse 32, and if God has been glorified in him, please remember, that was entirely Jesus' motivation. Everything he said and did, I'm just saying the words of the Father. I'm just doing the things that the Father showed me to do. He didn't have a personal agenda. He wasn't there to build a religion or make a sect. No. He came to be the example to the world of the Father. I'm just giving you His words. I'm just doing the things He showed me to do. I raised someone from the dead. It's because the Father showed me to do it. I've healed this person. That's because the Father... I cast these out. That's because the, it's the Father. It's the Father. Hey, do you? does this sound... T- You like John's Gospel, chapter 4. The um, true worshippers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. If you want an example of what it is to be a human being in our generation, look no further than the Lamb, Jesus. He was the one who par excellence lived that. He worshipped in spirit and in truth. He lived for the Father. It was all for him. And that's, so he's our example. In fact, that's exactly what we read in the Hebrew letter. That he was just, not just, he was the firstborn. He was the first of a whole family that's just like him. The firstborn among many brethren. and that's that's what worship is it glorifies the object of worship and we've got the whole thing inverted we're taught by the world to glorify ourselves it's all about you, what can please you what can make you look good, what can make you feel good it's all about me and that's anti-human it's it's sure it's fallen humanity but it's anti-true humanity humanity has been created for the praise of his glory Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 that we, you and me, should be what makes you tick that you and me should be to the praise of his glory other agendas falling away from us Jesus is the example of that. i glorified the Father. And if I've glorified the Father, if I've lived to him and said, actually, nothing about this matters. Nothing about me matters. It's all about the invisible one. You can see him by looking at my life. I live it for him. If, and he says then, and if God has been glorified in him, there's this link, this Not a contract, but action and response. Action, reaction. Good old Isaac Newton. Uh, Action. Uh, If God's been glorified in him, then God's going to respond. God will glorify... (laughs) Yes, mine does that too sometimes. Um, Then God will glorify the Son of Man in himself. Can I... And he's going to do that right away. And we'll glorify him at once. Just look with me in chapter 17, would you? Because those ideas, um, as you well know, come up. Jesus' prayer, we'll get to it, hopefully, in due course. Verse 1. Father, he said, the moment has come. Glorify your Son now, so that your Son may glorify you. Do you know Jesus is still working to bring glory to the Father? Did you know that? Of course he is. His dealing with you and me is to bring glory to the Father. So that the invisible God should have a visible band of worshippers. Jesus is working to make worshippers on the earth. He alone can make such a a, a human being. Someone who is no longer self-serving. No longer in the grip of the spirit of this age. He alone can convert us and make us men and women who are possessed of the spirit of God. Uh, worshipers of the Father. He's bringing glory to God. Okay. So he's still working to do that. So, chapter 17, verse 2, verse 1, glorify your Son so that... So that your Son may glorify you. What? Yeah, there's more to come. There's more to come. Jesus had glorified the Father on earth. Now, he needed to return to glory so that... The Son could again, could further, could bring to fruition, bringing glory to the Father. What does that mean? I hope we'll have time to consider it. It's really, really important that we should understand what it is to be a human being what it is to be a Christian uh, it's about bringing glory to the Father how is that done? only through the peculiar ministry of Jesus only through the unique activity of the Son is the Father glorified we're going to see that hopefully Um, so we'll read a bit further down that'll do for us for now Verse 4 I have glorified you on earth I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do I've done that so now Father glorify me alongside yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world existed all right, he's going to be reincorporated into the Godhead in his full glory. Fair enough? Hold that thought. Let's go back to our chapter. So, Jesus turns from so this tremendous sigh of triumph. The work's done. I've, I've, I've been glorified. Uh, here we are, verse 33. And now he turns to the disciples. Children, Technia, Do you know? I so. It's the only place in the New Testament, that, in the Gospels, that that word is used. The only place. It's a term of endearment, dear little children. Well, he was about thirty; they're about nineteen, twenty. The, the, the disciples, ish, that sort of area. Um, but what he was about to tell them. Suggests uh, you, they were going to feel like orphans. I'm about to leave you, my dear little children. He loved them. Uh, let's read it. Little children, I'm with you only a little longer. Per thump. I mean, he'd been telling them this, but they hadn't really understood. Here it is. He told them again I'm with you only a little longer. There's a separation coming. You will look for me. And as I said to the Judeans that where I was going, they couldn't come. So I'm saying the same to you now. Do you remember six months ago? I'll just read it for you. 7.34. He said to the Judeans. And there's a different situation. We'll come to the difference in a second. So Jesus said... So you... Verse 34. You will look for me and you won't find me, Jews... And you can't come where I am. 8.21 is even more strident. I'm going away, he said. 8.21 You will look for me and you will die in your sin. You can't come where I'm going. Their unbelief was going to leave them married to their sin and they were going to die. Okay, Jesus said, As I said to them, I'm saying to you. What was the difference? what was the difference? Uh, it's a rhetorical question ok right, let's, let's read what the difference is because it was a different situation ok you will look for me as I said to the Judeans we're back in chapter 13 verse 33 that where I was going they couldn't come so now I'm saying the same to you I'm going away guys but i got something to leave behind a new commandment now that's a really tough one how is it new? Leviticus Thou shalt love... We haven't read it. Let's read it. I'm giving you a new commandment, and it's this. Love one another, just as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is how everybody will know, and I'm changing this a little bit here, the emphasis is more emphatic than my disciples. This is how everyone will know that you are disciples of me the emphasis is on him. They'll know, oh yeah, they're Jesus people because they love. They're not, not just, you understand, it's more emphatic. This is how, if you have loved one for another, this is how everybody will know that you're disciples of me. Here's a little... I meant to write down the reference, but there were two first century pagan writers, both Romans, who wrote about Christians. You know how the Christians were persecuted in the first century? They sent them to the the theatres and had them eaten by lions. Nero had them burning in his gun. They were persecuted. And the... Was it Felix? One of the Roman governors wrote about the Christians. These people... uh, These Christians love each other before they have met. A literal fulfilment of that prediction of the Lord. Another one wrote, let me just get it right. uh, Ah, their leader has taught them to love like brothers. They taught them to love as if they were brothers. I think that was it. The leader has taught them to love as if they were brothers. Uh, I thought you'd enjoy it. so pagan writers in the first century talking about the persecuted Christians and that's, that, was the, uh, that was their tag mm. and Peter, dear man uh, virtually ignored that he, he listened, he listened he, here's the thing that stuck in his mind verse 35, chapter 30. Simon Peter spoke up Master, where are you going? He said, I'm about to leave you. Let's just leave this commandment about love. Oh, I meant to say, well, how is it a new commandment? We have a command written in our conscience, haven't we? That all mankind must be loved. we have heard of the phrase, the milk of human kindness. Have you heard that phrase? Oh, yeah. The milk of human kindness. Well, there's, this, there's something written in our hearts that may largely be ignored. But actually, I owe love to my fellow human being. That's point one. Point two, Leviticus. The the commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. How is this new? Uh, Possibly two new things. One, this is a circle, a family circle that's never existed before. One another. Who were the one another? People who were loved by Jesus. So the Israelite saw in that Israelite over there, who was worshipping God, somebody who God loved. And so he loved that Israelite. He saw in that Israelite another self. And so he loved it. Uh, Among Christians, there had never been this bond before. But the bond was that each of us is loved by Jesus. So we can't say that we love him if we ill-treat he, he whom Jesus loves. So that's one aspect of newness. It was a new family circle, a new grouping, a new uh, organising, if you like, of humanity. These are the Jesus people. Love one another. And the kind of love was as I have loved you. The kind of love. How has he loved us? To the end? Uh, Okay. Uh, So, exercise one another. Exercise yourself, rather, that we should love one another. We must exercise ourselves to make sure, oh, please, love isn't how you feel. It's love is moral action. Oh, I don't like the way he looks or she sings. Forget it. Love is moral action, not how you feel about someone. We've all been duped by silly films and, and trashy novels. Okay, love is moral action. Love one another. Hmm. We were we, we can cope with that, can't we? Right. Peter, dear man, s- talked about the thing that stuck in his mind. Where are you going? You going away? Where are you going? Verse 35, 30, 36 Sorry. I can't see the number 36 Simon Peter spoke up where are you go where I'm going Jesus replied you can't follow me just now you will follow later though that's not what he said to the Jews is it the separation for his people was temporary for the Jews it was over. They, as it were, they'd had their chance. They'd turned their back on on the Savior. There was no path to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We have in the next chapter. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you can if you don't, if they weren't to come to the Father through Jesus, they are on their own. But for the disciples, believing in Jesus, you will come. Where I'm going, you can't follow me. Just now you will follow later though would you have a look at 737 chapter 7 of our gospel verse 37 you may remember this, does this sound a bit like this to you? on that last day of the feast, the great the, the great final celebration Jesus stood up in the midst and shouted if anybody thirst, they should come to me and have a drink anyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart Just like the Bible says. And John's commentary was, He said this about the Spirit, which people who believed in Him were about to receive. The Spirit wasn't available yet, because they hadn't died. No, because, can you read? Jesus was not yet glorified. He would not yet risen and ascended. It wasn't time for the Holy Ghost. Pentecost hadn't happened. I'm conditioning you to understand this. It's not about dying. If we go back to our chapter, verse 13. You can't follow me just now. You will follow me later though. Don't please think that's when you die. What's going to happen? We're going to live all our lives without Jesus? And then one day, hopefully when we die, we'll be with him? No, no, a million times no. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel... Lo, I am with you always. We're not to live through life without Jesus. He went away to prepare a place for them. That he should come and take them to himself. For you and me, that he should take us to himself. The whole of the Gospel, the whole of the New Testament is infused with that truth. So I'm sort of conditioning you how I want you to read this, uh, as I believe it's unquestionable. Jesus intended it, although it is contested by most people who read the gospel. It doesn't hang together. Any Any contest to this position is spurious. Let's have a look where I'm going you can't follow just yet you will follow later though master Peter replied why can't I follow you now I'll lay down my life for you I can die I can you've said you're going to glory I can come to glory with you I'll lay down my life I can die I've walked on the water You walked on the water, I walked on the water. I was next to you at the Mount of Transfiguration where you were transfigured before my very eyes with with just two other disciples. I can do this. I'll give up my life for you. I think that's how we should read Peter there. Do you? You will follow. I want to come now. Why can't I follow you now? Verse 37. I'll lay down my life for you. Will you really lay down your life for me? I don't know where dear Tom Wright gets smiled. Um, this, yeah, he's got here, smiled, Jesus. Um, it's not quite a translation, but it's probably what happened. Um, a Kindly, uh, will you really lay down your life for me? Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he told him, I'm telling you the truth, the solemn truth. By the time cock crows, the cock crows, you will have disowned me three times. chapter 14 verse 1 don't let your hearts be troubled Uh, he's just told me he's going away don't let your hearts be troubled what? we've just started to believe on you as you really are our eyes are just starting to be open and you tell us you're going away it's alright, don't let your hearts be troubled, Uh, he's going to tell us why why not? Jesus continued trust God trust me too There's plenty of room to live in my father's house. You may remember the old translation. In my father's house are many dwelling places, mansions. Yeah, in my father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. So that's a a very good working translation. There's plenty of room to live in my father's house. If that wasn't the case, I'd have told you, wouldn't I? If I was really leaving you forever... Wouldn't you think I wouldn't have told you? What would have, what would have occurred? If they'd, they'd just come to understand who Jesus is, and he goes away forever? He said, I'd have told you, wouldn't I? He'd have, he'd have been leading, up, leading them up the garden path otherwise. A good man, whose standards they can't attain, and he disappears, and they're left with the standards and no means of living them. He would have been leading up the garden path. He said there's plenty of room listen to this I'm going to get a place ready for you and if I do go and get a place ready for you I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be there where I am and as to where I'm going you know the way again most folk I've heard will refer that to death death Jesus, but look, Jesus really came again on the day of Pentecost in the person of the Holy Ghost. Jesus came to gather his disciples into himself. It was a private, invisible coming again. Why? Right? There is going to be a future parousia. The, appearance. the word doesn't. The word parousia doesn't mean to come again. It means an appearing. Ah, oh. here Jesus is saying, "I will come again and receive you to myself." But it's invisible. It doesn't appear. There is coming a time when he will appear in glory. He'll appear with a host of angels. His his appearance will be seen from the left, from the left, from the east to the west, like lightning across the sky. Everyone will know, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. But before that, there is for his own people his coming to receive each individual to himself and I want to spend a little time in demonstrating two things one, the preparation he had to make in order to achieve this and two, the means by which it's done and then we'll stop fortunately I can't see my watch Um, Okay, what preparation? Must be made. So we, we look. We understand that Jesus said, "Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water." John, he was speaking about the Spirit, but he wasn't yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. So let's have a look very quickly in Hebrews chapter six. We're just and we're going to stay in Hebrews a little while, um, just a few verses. Hebrews six, and we're just, we're just going to cut in for time's sake verse 19 is impossible for God to lie we verse 19 of chapter 6 of Hebrews we have this hope like an anchor secure solid Pent this hope penetrating into the inner place that's the holy of holies Hang on a minute. What's the holy of holies? What's, what's who's interested in that? It is the dwelling place of God. There was a holy of holies on earth in the tabernacle. Do you remember that? Sure. Holy of holies. Never anyone went in. The high priest twice on one day in the year. For, once for himself, one for the people. Once for the people. That was the holy of holies. Nobody could get in there. It was separated from the holy place where the priests went daily by a veil we read from the Hebrew writer that those things were just a shadow. They were for us a picture. They were a shadow of what? Of real things in the heavenly place. So we must understand that there is an inner dwelling place of the Father that only Jesus can penetrate. And he goes back there. We have this hope as an anchor. Alright, we're being very... I know it's... I just want to get through this. I know it's A lot of ideas there to be quickly glossed over. Verse 19, we have this hope. Oh dear. Ah, like an anchor penetrating into the inner place behind the curtain, the veil, where Jesus has gone in ahead of us and for us on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. The throne, the cherubim, the mercy seat, God's throne. He ascended and he's entered into the presence of the Father. The first man in the history of the universe to do it. The God man. He has taken humanity into the presence of the Father. What did the priest do when he went in there? Can you remember? The sacrifice was made outside, on the altar, and he took in a bowl, uh, a bowl of the blood of the sacrifice that had been offered, and a sprig of hyssop, and he sprinkled the throne of God, the the Ark of the Covenant, and the uh, cherubim on top of it. He sprinkled it with blood. He brought the blood of the sacrifice into God's presence on the Day of Atonement. Okay, that was to instruct us Jesus' sacrifice had been made outside the presence of God on Calvary and he brought the blood of the sacrifice, not his actual human blood, but in picture, he brought his poured out life, his blood, his poured out life, into the presence of the Father to make atonement for humanity to make a way, he's the forerunner I go to prepare a place for you. And so for the first time in the history of the universe, a man, the God-man, had entered into the presence of God to dwell. He will glorify me. And Jesus was enveloped and entered into God's glory. God will glorify the Son of Man in himself. Are you with me so far? Let's read on. Um, another reference, Hebrews 9, 11. Because the same idea, theme is developed. But when the Messiah, chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11, when the Messiah arrived as high priest of the good things that were coming, he entered through the greater and much superior tabernacle, all right, the, the real thing, not the shadow, greater and much superior to not made with hands that is to say not of the present creation and not with the blood of goats and calves that was just a picture he went with his own blood his own poured out life his perfect spotless life Lord and he gave it to the fathers poured out to the father this is the life of a sinless human being poured out in worship to the father it was atonement Humanity was salvageable. He was the first human being that uh, (laughs) lived under God. He entered once for all into the holy place, accomplishing a redemption that lasts forever. Last reference in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 12, if I can find a 12, 10, yes. But Jesus offered a single sacrifice on behalf of sins for all time and then, and then sat down at the right hand of God. From that moment on, he's waiting till his enemies are made, a footstool for his feet. If we could drop down just to verse 19 of the same chapter. So there, my brothers and sisters, we have boldness to go. Huh? You and me? Yes! Nobody ever went in there. But now we have boldness to go into the sanctuary, verse 19, through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated, opened, a brand new living path through the veil, his body. We have an high priest who is over God's house. Let us therefore come to worship with a true heart, in complete assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, there's one reference, finally. Um, Can we read in Acts chapter 2? See, the Holy Ghost had been promised, but never given. You realise that? Jesus repeatedly referred to the gift of the Spirit to men and women as the promise of the Father. Do you remember that? Let's have a look at Acts chapter 1. He said that to the disciples before his ascension. He said, tarry ye at Jerusalem. Verse 4, they were having a meal. He told them not to go away from Jerusalem, but to wait, As Acts chapter 1 verse 4, but to wait, as he put it, for the Father's promise, which I was telling you about Earlier, All the way through, the Father had promised, right from the very early times, had promised the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, now wait for it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's going to bring the blood to the Father. And the Father, on being presented with the sacrifice of the perfect Son, was then free to give to the Son, the Holy Ghost. Let's have a look at chapter... 2 and verse is it 11? whoops no it's not chapter 2 it's verse 29 more than that verse 33 verse 32 chapter 2 verse 32 this is the Jesus we're talking about Peter's giving some explanation for the events on the day of Pentecost. Um, All sorts of things were happening. There was some explanation needed. And I've cut right in toward the end of his explanation. This is the Jesus we're talking about. God raised him from the dead. And all of us here are witnesses to the fact. Verse 33. Now, he's been exalted to God's right hand. That's just what we are reading in Hebrews, wasn't it? Why? Now he's being exalted to God's right hand. And what you see and hear is the result of the fact that he, who? He, Jesus, is pouring out the Holy Spirit which had been promised and which he has Received from the Father. Okay, I go to prepare a place for you. You remember in John 37:37, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's gone back to the Father. He received the promise of the Father, and it is his prerogative and his alone in the whole universe. It is his prerogative to come back to this soul, and to this soul, and to your soul, and to my soul, to come to us, and to receive us to him. He's gone to the fair place. He's brought the blood into the Holy of Holies. Humanity, he's inaugurated a new and living way. Humanity can enter on the strength of his sacrifice. What's the mechanism? How do we get in there? It's all right. The promise of the Father does that. Jesus dispenses the promise of the Father. He, he comes to a soul, he comes back to a soul, and receives the person to himself by the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You will remember in chapter 1 that when God spoke to John the forerunner, the way he characterised the ministry of Jesus was, we've said this a number of times, the one that you see the dove descending upon, the Holy Ghost, in very in the form of dove, and remaining, here it is who baptizes with the Holy Ghost. He didn't say he makes people good. He didn't say he forgives sins. The Father characterizes the work of Jesus in that way. Here it is who baptizes in the Holy Ghost that's the mechanism by which he comes to a soul and receives him to himself it's private and invisible there's going to come a time of the uh, which, we, we, which we call the parousia the appearing where Jesus who's come again will appear and everyone will know but not now now he comes to his own and receives them to himself so that he can say quite truly, I am with you all the time to the end of the earth. I will never leave you. When we get into chapter 14 next, it says, I, if, you, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. If, uh, if you keep my commandments, the Father will love you, and I will love you, and we will come to you and make our abode with you. Okay, these aren't. Okay, so I want you, I beg you, not to put this off. Oh, we've just got to trudge through a life on earth trying to do good, asking for forgiveness because we can't do good, and we hopefully one day will see Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that he must come to you, come to me, and receive you to himself by the mechanism of the baptism of the Spirit, that where he is, you and I should be also. This is completely consistent with Paul in the book of Ephesians and everywhere else in the scripture. Um, So... So what? So, uh, for many years as a boy, I heard people talk about Jesus living in their hearts. And it was it just when my head that, thought being a Christian is Jesus living in my heart. When I was twenty-one, I remember praying. Uh, I came to the place where I wanted the things that I'd heard about to be real, and said, so, "I said, Lord Jesus, I don't know what it means." to have you living in my heart you and I need to go beyond uh, just accepting doctrine that seems scriptural well, that's alright we need to go beyond that and say Lord fulfill your word in me, if these things are supposed to be so please make it so for me we sang a song earlier um, I can't remember the words I'm trying to uh, I give all I have just to know you. If we are to know him in the in the in the terms that he's talking about it will cost us all we have. We can't have our own life and give it to him. The only means by which we can know him by the spirit is to give all that we have just to know him. Uh, and so it falls to you and me to having heard of these things to come before the Lord and say Lord, please fulfill these things in me so that I am a proper exemplar of your purpose and your will. So that you and I are the real deal, real Christians, according to Jesus. That he's done in us what he intends. I fear that um I fear that it's possible to have a huge religious glass and a life that is still our own, unregenerate, unchanged. And the purpose of the Lord Jesus is frustrated because uh, we can be religious and say the right things and try to do the right things but fail to perceive, fail really to get on our knees and let Jesus be king. It'll cost us everything. Uh... You can't have your life and keep it. You've got to lose it. If you love your life, you'll lose it. If you hate your life for my sake, I don't care what it costs, Lord. I must know you. I don't care what it means. The things that I... I don't care what it means. I just must have you. If you hate your life for my sake, you'll keep it unto life eternal. So let's just now pray for a few moments and uh, I, I just I do beg you not to take the a superficial view of that but the intended view Um, I will come to you Peter, you can't come just yet I'm going to prepare a place for you I've got to to come into the presence of the Father and, and present the poured out life of the perfect sacrifice to him he's going to give me the Holy Ghost and I'm going to come and by the baptism of the Holy Ghost I'm going to receive you to myself and you're going to live with me all the time I will never ever leave you If you're not careful, you can get into a, uh, a view of Christianity that, oh, well, you haven't got Jesus now, you might have him later. We mm-hmm. must have him now. Uh, come on, let's pray. Oh, Lord, Father, we thank you for letting us read your words. Thank you for preserving them for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the liberty and the inclination to consider your words. We love you, Father. Let your word be fulfilled in us. Though we understand it in part, Lord, even when we understand the most, we understand hardly anything. Lord, but we can let your word be fulfilled in us. We can open our hearts to you. And we do that this afternoon. Open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, and say, be it, we say it with Mary, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, let these things be properly fulfilled in us. Lead us, Father, so that we care not for what we think we might lose. But, Lord, hallelujah, give up all the rest. Hate our lives for your sake, so that we may keep it. Lord, please... Uh, Do your work among us. Let your purpose be realised. The baptism of the Holy Ghost effected for each of our hearts. Our Lord... It's beyond our words, but thank you, Father, that your, your word is sharper than every two-edged sword, and it pierces, even to the decided, dividing asunder between soul and spirit. And so we open our hearts to you, Lord, and say, have your way, Father. Be glorified. Amen.